Girl, I wish I had you to do my hair and makeup every day. Okay, so I think we have all the details up on the screen. Um, what else do you want to share about? Well, I'm an open book. You can ask me anything. Okay. Um, it says here that you're a Christian. Uh, you want to talk about that? Well, uh, that's true. I, I, I'm a Christian, kind of, but that's not really something worth talking about on the show. Would you say your faith is important to you? I mean, yeah, my parents made sure I was in church, but I'm not one of those people who lets it completely take over their life. I just like to have fun, you know? I wouldn't say it's who I am or anything like that. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Want to again welcome all of our guests today, all of our friends that uh, are listening online. Uh, before we get started today, just kind of curious to get a show of hands. Um, I'm wondering how many of you guys are, are like me and have like a weak stomach, like car rides, uh, smells, like anything you just want <coughs> to throw up. Um, it's awful, and you know what I'm talking about. I got a couple of you here. Um, you know, for instance, I have a hard time even um, just swallowing pills, like ibuprofen. If you if you get one, I, I'm, it's ridiculous. I mean, I, I, I'm gagging away on this tiny little pill. You get the, the gag reflex, and you just spit them out, and... My wife, she can take a handful of them. She, doesn't, she needs like a little drip of water. She's got a whole handful. Of, I go, I'm fighting with this one little pill. But, you know, as long as I can remember, I've, I've had this weak stomach. And, and I can uh, remember when we were little, we had a, uh, a big station wagon. Anyone have a, a big station wagon when they were younger? <laughs> Who... Whose idea were those? But I remember I would be put in the back. Ours kind of had like this pit, like in the back. I know it was seats, but I think me a couple, we'd just be thrown in the back, and there's the the windows in the back. I think the window would go down. But we would drive the back roads, and and on on the frost heaves and the heat, Man, with my stomach, I would be so sick. It would be, you know, the middle of, of wintertime. I'd be like, roll down the windows. I'm going to throw up everywhere. And the, and the, the trees are going by. And, and so this is like ongoing for me. I just remember the station wagons are the worst. Just getting all spinny. And, and there goes that, that gag reflex again. And so you can only imagine when, when it came time for me to be a father. Uh, you know, I didn't do so well with diapers. I mean... I, I had a real difficult time jumping in there because, oh boy. But, you know, you, you suck it up for the team, right? Suck it up for the team. And when my number was called, you know, gag reflexes in full effect, I did the job. You know, no days off. No days. That's <laughs> what Billy Belichick says, right? No days off. Uh, one of the funniest stories I can actually uh, share with you is when I was um, home alone with my daughter, who, who was then two. It's my oldest daughter, so this is like 20 years ago. Uh, she, she was two, maybe a little bit younger. You weren't born yet. And, and so, you know, it's daddy-daughter time. And we were playing with her toys. We were up in her room. I, I remember playing with the little stuffed animals. And, and, and then she ran out of her drink. She needed a drink. And so in our old house, you know, all the bedrooms are always upstairs, right? 
in the old houses. And so I'm upstairs, and, and I put the little child gate uh, lock on the, the door and stay there, I'll be right back. So I run downstairs, st- I, I go to grab a drink for her, and I was gone for all of two minutes. And as I was heading back up the stairs, when, oh, that smell, oh, no, oh, no, boy, I'm telling you, it was so strong. I, I'm gagging downstairs. You know, I haven't even gone up the stairs yet, really. And, and so I, I make it up the stairs to her room, and, and in her room is the most terrifying thing that a father by himself would ever want to see. It wasn't number one. It wasn't even number two. It was number three. And it was everywhere. Everywhere. Head to toe, the walls, the white carpet. Everywhere. What was I going to do? It was all over the place. And so I did what any good father would do. I brought her outside. <laughs> we, we, we stripped off the clothes. We went and, and got the, the garden hose. <laughs> Turned it on. No, stay there. Stay there. But daddy, stay there. And hosed her off. <laughs> My neighbors, oh, neighbors from across the street and to the side are, are, are looking. You know, it was a nice day out. The birds are chirping. No, I got this. Thank you. You know, are you sure you don't need any help? No. <laughs> and so we, we, we get done outside. We go back in the house, and, and literally, I threw up. I, I, I threw up as soon as we walked in the house. It was an awful day. And so I just want to thank all of you because I needed to get that off the chest. I mean, I, I just always have felt so awful about it. So thank you for working with me through it. And we'll pick back up on that thought later. But we've got to get this awesome message series started, The Christian Atheist. And if you've missed the previous weeks, you might be saying, wait, what is a Christian Atheist? A Christian atheist is someone who believes in God, but lives as if he doesn't exist. Believes in God, but lives as if he doesn't exist. Week number one, we talked about those who believe in God, but do not know him. Those who believe in God, but do not know him. Week number two, we talked about those who believe in God, but do not fear him. I believe in God, but I do not fear him. Next week, we're going to talk about those who believe in God but do not trust him fully. I believe in God but do not trust him fully. Today is is probably my favorite of of the the four weeks and and honestly probably the, the, the hardest hitting one. I'm going to talk about those who believe in God but do not want to go overboard. I believe in God but I don't want to be one of those Christians that are like fanatics. You know, they're all in and into it. Those Jesus freaks, man. I believe in God, but I don't want to be one of those people. They they take it way too far. Way too far. And so our main scripture for today will be out of the book of Revelation, if you want to follow along in your Bibles. We'll be in Revelation chapter 3, primarily verses 15 through 20. 
I'm gonna, they'll, of course, be up on the screens. And, and we've been incredi- um, studying this incredible book in our, in our Bible study on Thursday nights, The Revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, incredible book, just fascinating. But, but our focus today is going to be on, on one specific church, one specific city. If you read the first couple of chapters of Revelation, there was written seven different letters to seven different churches. And these were seven literal churches that, lived, uh, that were in the first century that, that literally existed in Asia Minor, now uh, modern-day Turkey. And in these letters recorded by John... We read that Jesus is, is watching over these churches, and, and so he addresses each one of them, I know your deeds, and Jesus very much watches the church. Uh, it's the bride of Christ. So uh, some of the churches would receive uh, condemnation, these uh, churches who we see sadly just a, as today, they're, they're allowing sin to rule, false teachings to to take place and to enter inside the church. And, and then there were those who were commended. These churches stayed faithful and, and true to the teachings of Christ. And even while they were going through this, this immense persecution uh, during the time and uh, social pressures and such, uh, most of the churches received both. In fact, all the churches were commended except for two of them. And so today's focus is going to be on one of those two churches, and it's the church of Laodicea. Some scholars refer to it as the putrid church. Others say it was a church blinded by its riches and therefore sold their souls. Uh, the church in Laodicea uh, was a beautiful city at its height. It, it was a very, very wealthy city. Many structures still hold true to be in their beauty and, and as they beheld. And the Romans took control of the, the city in about 129 uh, B.C. and made it a, a, a free city through Ro- Roman rule. Uh, 35 years before this, this letter was written, it's written, you know, kind of towards the end of the first century. So, you know, in, in the 60s A.D. or so, Laodicea and many surrounding uh, cities uh, were absolutely destroyed by a massive earthquake. But because of uh, this city's wealth, uh, they were quickly able to, to rebuild everything. And the buildings and shops were even bigger and better than they were before. There was even more to offer and the luxury for its people. In fact, uh, this was the go-to place in their region for, for the, the elite, the, the financially secure and they would go and retire in the city, a lot of them. Uh, they had banking systems. Uh, they had actual health resorts, uh, hot tubs, if you will, massive theaters uh, for plays, huge stadiums. Uh, they had these lavish public baths. So you could go and, and speak theology. And, and uh, very popular at the time. And, and they had some of the, the biggest uh, shopping centers uh, around. Imagine something like if you've ever been to Vegas, uh, just out in the middle of the desert, all of a sudden the city just pops up with all sorts of entertainment or or maybe Dubai is even better, you know, got roller coasters inside and it was that type of city, They, they were massively, massively wealthy. 
for this time. They had everything that you could imagine that you could ever want to live with. And so Jesus, he sees this very wealthy, very blessed group of Christians. And he says to them in Revelations chapter 3, verse 15, he says, I know your deeds. He says that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are what? This is going to be our key word. He said, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Now you know my reference to the story. (laughs) Verse 17, you say that I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Jump down to verse 20, and Jesus extends the most amazing invitation. He says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Jesus speaking to the Laodiceans, he says, I know your deeds. Not I know what you say you believe, but I know how you live. And there's a difference. How we live actually reflects the true reality of what we believe. I'm not just talking about what you say you believe, but I see how you live. Jesus says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were one or the other. And so, it's a little bit like if you, if you drink a cup of coffee. Hot coffee is good, right? Yes. Is hot coffee good? Yes. Oh, okay. Uh, cold coffee. Is cold coffee good? Yes. We got some cold coffee people? Who are the hot coffee people? Hot coffee? Just a couple? Oh, there they are. Cold, cold coffee? Iced coffee? Yeah. Yeah, the iced coffee is the cold coffee, but coffee that's been sitting around for four hours, it becomes lukewarm, right? It becomes lukewarm, gross, worthless, dump it out, right? We, we, we don't want to be lukewarm. Verse 16, again, Jesus says, So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. If you were hot or cold, I could do something with you. But because you are neither, I will spit you out. Now, the word used for spit here, this is rather interesting, comes from this Greek word. You'll see it's only used one time in all your Bible. I put it, it's printed in your notes. I've got it up here. Uh, It's pretty interesting. It actually means to spit. Yes, true. It does mean to spit. But also means to vomit. It means utter rejection. It means supremely repulse. What Jesus is saying is is when you don't show any passion at all, Laodiceans, when you are apathetic, when when you are complacent in your faith, when, when you're comfortable in your pursuit, I can't stomach that. I reject that. I'm repulsed by that. From the deepest part of me, I cannot tolerate that, and I vomit 
it out. I spit it out. I spewed it out. I'm completely, supremely repulsed by this. C.S. Lewis wrote, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. Guys, um, know what oxymoron is? Oxymoron? You get the the two words, the opposites, you put them together. Um, Act naturally. That's natural. Uh, uh, tight slacks. Uh, jumbo shrimp. All right. Uh, government efficiency. Uh, Microsoft works. I mean, sometimes, but uh, perhaps the, the greatest uh, oxymoron in the history of the world would be lukewarm Christian. Uh, lukewarm disciple of Jesus. Lukewarm Christian. In today's world, what it might look like to be a, a, a lukewarm Christian. We, we could probably come up with endless examples, uh, but what I thought we'd do with the rest of our time today is look at seven different qualities. Again, these are in your bulletin. If you want to follow along, fill them in um, as we go. Um, that we might be able to identify in what it is to be a lukewarm Christian. And uh, chances are when you, when you see and we hear these different qualities, uh, you'll think, I, I know someone who struggles with that. I know someone who struggles with that. They believe in God, but, but they don't want to go overboard. They, they, they don't want to go full, full on in. Some of you, if you're being real honest, you might say, man, this is me. This is me. I see myself in these. So... What are some qualities of those who would be a lukewarm Christian? The first one, if you're following along and taking your notes, is this. They crave the acceptance from people more than acceptance from God. They crave the acceptance from people more than acceptance from God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 to 2b. The Bible says, But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, amongst other things if you keep reading. People will be lovers of themselves. And we live in a very selfie-centered generation, don't we? (laughs) Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, you know. Please like my picture. Do you, do you approve of me? You know, do you like my food, my, my, my shoes, my cool kicks? You know, do you like my house, my, my hair? Do you like my hair? Or on the hugely popular website Twitter, the entire world can keep up on your, your every waking moment of your entire life. What you do, what you think, where, where you're going. We need an update. <laughs> we need an update. Tell me what you're going to do. Your goal and therefore your popularity is literally based on how many people follow you. Twitter world. Jesus asks us to, to take up our cross and to follow him. The world or, or Twitter says, uh, click on me and my world and follow me. 
follow me. In this world, far too often, we feel, you know, hey, you know, if you don't like me, you know, you, you don't like that, you don't like this belief I have, wait, 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 I, I can change. I can change. I'm adaptable. It matters to me what you think. It matters to me whether or not you're going to, to put uh, value on me as a child of God. But I can change that. I can put this aside. It's just one night. It's just one night. You know, I can conform my, my morals to, to the world's morals. Because I, I want you to love me. I want you to accept me. Jesus actually warned us of this. He said, be aware when all men speak well of you. Woe to you. If everyone's speaking well of you, you're not really following Jesus. If everyone's speaking well of you, you're not following Jesus. I can tell you that. Yet so many of us, usually before we recognize it, we just fall right into Satan's trap. Just fall right in. We begin to live for the approval of people rather than living for the approval of God. A lukewarm Christian craves the approval of people more than the approval of God. Secondly, a lukewarm Christian rarely shares their faith in Christ. They rarely share the, the goodness of God with people. Why? There's endless reasons. Fill in your own blank. You know, I don't want to be weird. don't want to be rejected. You know, I don't want to offend anybody. The offensive. Uh, honestly, I would agree at the, the, at the heart of it, it's because we don't really believe in the power that the gospel transforms lives. Because if we really believed this, then we would get over our fears, we would pray every day that God would help us to please share our faith so that we would have the fullest of everything that Christ has for us. Yet we don't do it. And Jesus is very clear about this as well. He said, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Lukewarm Christians rarely share their faith. Number three, lukewarm Christians rationalize their sins. We rationalize our sins. We, we live in a, a day where literally people rebrand re and rename sin. So it's not quite as bad. You notice this? You know, like uh, adultery is now an affair. I didn't have adultery. I'm having an affair. Sounds so much better, doesn't it? <laughs> Pornography. Uh, Adult entertainment. Welcome. That, that's what got me. Adult entertainment. I've been an adult. It just sounds so much better, doesn't it? Profanity is adult language. You know? Hey, when, when, when you grow up and you can be my age, you can drop that F-bomb, okay? But until then, you're 12, uh, you wait until you're an adult. You're too young to use that adult language. 
we're rebranding and renaming sin. So, so what do people do? It's easy to say, well, at least I'm not as bad as so-and-so. You know, it's my life. I, I can do whatever I want. Who are you to judge me? Stay, stay out of my life. Stay out of my way. This, this really isn't hurting anybody. They rationalize their sins all, all day long. Number four, the lukewarm Christian thinks about life on earth than eternity in heaven. They're consumed with life on earth and not eternity in heaven. There's this guy in the Bible named Paul, and he said some really crazy stuff. Did you know what he said? He said, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Did you hear that? To be on earth, that's for me to represent Christ. To die, I go to heaven. That's a a big game. And one day I'm going to die, and then I'm going to go to heaven. What do we see on earth now? I don't want to die. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. I want to live to 105 years old and wear diapers. (laughs) Keep me going. Keep, keep Keep me alive. We do. We're consumed with earth, with all the things of this world. I need more things. I need more things. <laughs> all the shiny things. Psst. You're not going to be able to bring them with you. We're in love with the things of this earth instead of the God who created everything. Number five... Lukewarm Christians only turn to God when they need something. Oh, they'll turn to God. We'll we'll do that, won't we? But when everyone's doing good, who really needs God? The kids are healthy. Nobody's fighting. We got money to pay the bills. Everything is good. Then whoops, uh uh-oh, someone's got cancer. You know, so so we go and, and, and pull God out of the old toolbox, put him on. And use them, oh yeah, uh, God, man, I need you right now, Lord. I need you. I, I can't handle this on my own. And then, okay, oh good, the, the, the chemo worked. Okay, th- thank you. you, you've done your job. I, everything is good. I'm going to put you away in the old two box. Oh no, the kids are in trouble. Quick, where did I put that thing? Where did I put that old God tool? Oh, there it is. God, God, I need you again. We believe in God, and, and we will use him, but for our benefits. We are not in a daily relationship with him. Because a lukewarm Christian will call on God. Lukewarm Christian will call on God, but only when they need something. Only when they need something. Number six, the lukewarm Christian will give whenever it's convenient. I'll give, if I, I'll give if I can look good. I'll give if it doesn't impringe on, on my standard of living. Uh, I'll give if I want to, but oh my gosh, don't you dare ask me to, to just give out of that. Don't, don't push me, because this is my stuff, my money, my things, uh, my, 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 these are mine. Committed follower of Jesus realizes it's God's, God's, 
God's, God's, God's. I've worked for it. He supplied me the health and the blessings. The lukewarm Christian says, mine, 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 mine. Gives whenever it's convenient. Number seven, the lukewarm Christian, honestly, they are not that much different than the rest of the world. They're not that much different than the rest of the world. Let's be honest, the lukewarm Christian watches the same movies as everybody else, listens to the same music as everybody else, uses the same filthy language as everyone else that knocks the ball off the the golf course and it goes out into the grass. They had the same morals as everybody else. They raise their kids kind of like everybody else. They get divorced just as as often as everybody else. Why? Because we're just like everybody else. It's comfortable Christianity. It's comfortable. It's I want all of what God has for me, but I don't want to follow what he has in store for me, what he wants for me. I want enough Jesus to to get me into heaven and to keep me out of hell. But not so much Jesus that it makes me into one of those people that are, are fully consumed with all that spiritual stuff. No thanks. Jesus calls this kind of person lukewarm and it makes him want to vomit. He cannot stomach it. It repulses him. And one of the reasons why I can kind of uh, pinpoint these with some accuracy, what a, what a lukewarm Christian uh, looks like, is because there have been many times in my relationship with Jesus when I have been very, very lukewarm. And for those who may have missed some of my admissions before, I'll open up a little bit to you. But these are the, the darkest times of my spiritual journey. If you found Christ, you know when you first find him, your eyes are all wide open. You're on fire for him. And I was like, all in. All in. I am all in. And after I finished my studies, I, man, I was so excited to see the church come to life. We had started talking about it. My goodness, you know, I get to serve God full-time in, in ministry? I get to do that? You know, I just visualized everything was just going to be amazing. You know, Bible studies every day. Uh, we're going to walk into the church and holy music is just going to start playing away. <laughs> The presence of God was just going to be swirling all around the place. Oh, there he is, there he is, oh, he's here again. My Bible just floated around on the power of the Holy Spirit, revealing every deep truth into my heart. Uh, all my favorite scriptures just instantaneously are memorized. <laughs> Sermons just write themselves. <laughs> every person who comes to church will be loving, and they'll never want to leave. They'll want to join in our union with Christ because everyone who goes to church is perfect and nice, right? Right? All church people are nice, right? And suddenly I came to this realization that the Lord had put onto my heart. You're too busy working to see all that I'm doing. Uh, the blessings, I couldn't see them like the laid the scenes. I had become blind. Might as well throw me out there naked too, you know. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I was a servant of the Lord, 
But I was working for the Lord. I had my toolbox and I was doing all this stuff. It became a full-time job. And we had technical things to figure out, you know, all the stuff that had nothing to do with studying the Bible, you know, starting a church. We had all sorts of things happen, you know. Lots of people had questions. There were prayers. Uh, Many of us were were just getting to know each other. Um, There were some who who were here, and and you would spend hours with them, uh, praying with them, um, sharing intimate details of your life with them. You you would invest with them, and and then they'd disappear. disappear. Where'd they go? Where'd they go? Things became chaotic at home as well. Time with each family member was shrieking, weakening our bond, weakening my love with the family, and there were things that just added up quicker, and I wasn't going to the Lord to put out some of these fires that could be handled. What happened to me, tragically, is I let the, the ministry work replace my relationship with God. I let the ministry work replace my relationship with God. Bill Hybels, uh once said, and I could totally relate to this, he said, the way I was doing the work of God destroyed the work of God in me. That's what, that's what happened to me. The way I was doing the work of God destroyed the work of God in me. I honestly would read the Bible to preach, but not for my own personal devotion time. There was a stretch of time there where I was only praying for others, and I had all but stopped my one-on-one time and devotion time with the Lord. I had the show on the outside, but in the inside it was hollow. I had a very long and, and hard conversation with the Lord. I needed to look at in the mirror and come to terms because I had become a full-time pastor and a part-time follower of Jesus. I became a full-time pastor and a part-time follower of Jesus. And this could very well hit many of you just the same. You become a a full-time mom and a part-time follower of Jesus. You could be a a full-time businessman and a part-time follower of Jesus. You you could be a a full-time student and a part-time follower of Jesus. And I just woke up and, and I was the great oxymoron, a lukewarm Christian. Not hot, not cold, just comfortable, complacent in my relationship with Jesus. And tragically, uh, this is where so many people are today. I was thinking again about that poll where where three out of every four uh, on even the the lowest numbers, polls in the United States, Americans claim that they believe in God. And I think it says a lot of things, but, but one thing that sort of stands out I was thinking about this week I believe that that here in the U- U.S. it's actually far easier to for someone to become a lukewarm Christian than in most parts of the world and, and I'll tell you why there are places all over the world that when you are a follower of Jesus oh it means something it means something because it could cost you it could cost you your job it could cost you your reputation, but there are places in the world, as we know it, that it could cost you your head, your life. It cost you your life. And as horrible as that is, there is almost a blessing in that persecution. 
Because when we are persecuted, oh, we become stronger with the Lord. You become a lot more dependent on the Lord. When suddenly, even in our part of the world, as it's just started to become a tiny bit more difficult to be a a Christian, people are, are just now sort of starting to push back a little bit, a little bit of hate, a little bit of judgment getting thrown around. Um, I was actually uh, had an experience this week where um, they found out I was a Christian and refused to do um, business with me. Um, buying a camera. True story. They found out I was Christian and, and uh, they stopped the conversation with me. And, uh, you know, that's starting to happen. But it, it really, the more... Christians are criticized, suddenly makes you say, you know what, I'm either in or I'm out. You're not going to stand around for persecution and on the fence when that stuff's coming at you. You're you're, going to know pretty clearly either you're going to stand there and take the persecution and whatever comes along with that, or you're going to say, you know what, this wasn't really for me. I mean, I believe in God, but I'm not going that crazy. You're in or you're out. And when you recognize what Jesus did for you, and when it means something to you, you can't help by the power of the Holy Spirit not to be lukewarm. There are those who live in countries all around the world that when they say the name of Jesus, it means something. When you have a disagreement or whatever with a brother or sister in Christ, you're not hateful. You're not carrying this resentment towards them because you need them in order to survive. Just as a, a Christian in the family of God, your, your brother and sister in Christ, that, that's your brother and sister in Christ. You have that kind of love because of how much Christ has loved you. In the future, as it becomes more and more difficult, and, and it will, persecution of Christians per year is as high as any year on record, and it will continue to climb each year. My belief is this, that the true church will rise, it will be strengthened as people take a stance, the bride of Christ. You're either, oh, no, 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 I'm not going that far. Or you know what? Yes, I do believe. And I want to fully commit my life to the one who gave it all for me. You can get excited anytime you want. (laughs) Jesus was talking directly into a culture that is so similar to ours today. Worldly wealth, theaters, shopping malls, you know, stadiums. We have everything that we need in so many parts of the world, that's almost like you don't feel like you really need God. We got it all. We're just so incredibly blessed here. Let's close this out. Revelation chapter 3, verse 17, Jesus says, You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I advise you to buy for me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich in white garments so you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. The eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Where are you? in your walk with God. This is 
Him asking you, inviting you. Do you know Him? Do you know Him? Right now, if God is doing what God does so lovingly, there are those of you who are feeling the gentle conviction of the Holy Spirit. And you are recognizing, maybe I believe in God, but I don't really know Him because I'm not fully committed to Him. What do you do if that's you? simple. It's really simple. Open the door to your heart and invite Jesus in. It's that simple. Open up the door to your heart and invite Jesus in. Just, Jesus, come into my life. Come into my life right now. Jesus in verse 20, he says, here I am. I stand at the door. I'm here if you'll open up. If anyone hears my voice, hey, it's me. It's Jesus. I love you. Hello. I want to come in. I gave my life for you. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Here's the thing. You don't have to go get all cleaned up first to open that door. You don't have to make your life all right and straighten it all out first. You don't have to get all perfect and things aligned first. You let them in. Jesus, come in. Jesus, come in. Jesus, come in. Jesus, come in. And that is what he does. He comes in. Right as you are, as is, as you were. And he loves you because that's what he came to do. He accepts you, but he doesn't just leave you, leave you there. He transforms you. Your sins are forgiven. You are no longer the same. You become a new creature in Christ. The old is gone and everything becomes new. There are those of you who hear his voice. Let him in. He's knocking. He's knocking. He's knocking. He simply wants to come in. If you hear his voice, open up your life and Jesus will come in. Close with these last verses. Jesus said, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Will you please stand for today's invitation? Uh, Nick just asked the invitation. You know, I... I really don't have to get up and give it. Uh, and, uh, you know, we haven't had many come forward, a couple in a year or so, but it's okay. Maybe you're going to do it privately. Maybe you're going to do it uh, with someone you love and care for. But please, don't be lukewarm anymore. <laughs> nothing worse than a lukewarm person, you know. And uh, I, uh, Let's uh, sing the song of invitation. <laughs>